Back in the 1930s, there was a young man by the name of Charles Coburn, and he loved to go to the theater and watch plays. But one day his father pulled him aside and warned him, be careful, son. There are good places to go and watch those plays, but there are other places that are not so good. So the one thing you must never do, never go to the burlesque house. The burlesque house was the 1930s version of adult entertainment. It was a place rated R because of the obscene nature of what would be shown there. So the father warned him, he said, hey son, you can go to the theater and you can watch the plays and the dramas and the musicals, that's fine. Just don't go to the burlesque house. Well, Charles Coburn had never heard of a burlesque house before, so immediately he was curious and he wondered why, why shouldn't I go there? And all his father would say was because you would see things you shouldn't. It wasn't long after that conversation that Charles went to visit a burlesque house and sure enough, he saw something that he shouldn't have seen. He saw his father. The Bible says no one lives to themselves and no one dies to themselves. Meaning every life makes an impact. Whether you're thinking about it or not, your life has an influence on the, on the people around you. But the question is this, what kind of influence? Is it something that's going to encourage other people to do what is right? Or is it going to be something that encourages people to do what is wrong? Well, the lesson we're going to learn today is going to take that one step further. Not only does your life and mine make a mark on the people that we see around us right here and now, but your life and mine will make a mark on people for generations to come. Because you see, when you die and you leave this world, you will leave something behind. I mean, whether, no matter what you accomplish in this life or if you fail to accomplish anything at all, no matter how deliberately you tried to prepare your legacy or even if you didn't even think about the legacy at all and you just left everything up to chance, know this, that when you pass from this world, you will leave something behind. But what? And what kind of mark is it going to make on the people who come after you? You may never have heard this name before, but know this. He's made an impact on your life. His name is Saeed. He died more than 50 years ago. He was a native of Egypt, a philosopher, wrote 24 books. And in those books, he kept pushing a worldview of hatred and violence, especially showing that hatred and violence against Jews, Christians, and anything associated with the West. He was hanged in 1966 because he was a part of a plot to assassinate the Egyptian president. And on the day when Saeed was executed, most people thought, well, that's the end of him except that Saeed had a younger brother named Muhammad, Muhammad Kudab, and he greatly adored his older brother. He eagerly embraced his radical ideas. So when Saeed died, Muhammad continued to publish his books. Muhammad Kudab was a, a professor at a university in Saudi Arabia, and no matter what kind of class he taught, he would take every opportunity he got to talk about his brother and push his radical ideas. And one of Muhammad Qutb's star pupils was a young man by the name of Osama bin Laden. And bin Laden did more than just sit in the class and accept the teaching. He decided to act upon it. And as a result, we are now living in a much different world. Here we are 50 years later reaping the effects of one man's worldview. Every time you have to take off your shoes in the airport, it's because of Saeed Qutb. Every time you have to bring more than 10 forms of identification just to be able to get a passport, it's because of this one man's philosophy. I mean, even though he died more than 50 years ago, the radical ideas and the radical teachings of Saeed Qutb is still impacting millions and millions of people's lives. Now, my question is this. Why does it have to be an influence for evil? 
Why not influence other people for good? Your life and mine is going to make a mark on others, not just the people we see, on us, see around us right here now, but it's going to make a mark on people for generations to come. And knowing that we're going to have that kind of effect, why not try to be an influence for Jesus? Here at New Hope, we are trying to prepare a legacy, and we're trying to be very intentional about it, more intentional than we've ever been before. It's this concept that you've heard many of our leaders talking about, reproducible discipleship, where you put tools and resources in the hands of the next generation, and not just them, but those who come after them, so they'll be encouraged in every possible way to want to believe and want to serve and want to follow after Jesus too. And that idea didn't come from here. It comes right out of the Bible. 2 Timothy chapter 2, let's take a look at this. We're just going to look at the first two verses. We'll keep this really brief this morning. Here's the Apostle Paul. He's writing to Timothy. These two men are very close. I mean, through the years, they've shared a lot. They've been through all different kinds of experiences. So Timothy and Paul, I mean, the bond between them is just really tight. In fact, this is going to be the last letter that Paul ever writes, and he knows that. So there's a lot of emotion behind the words here. It's like 2 Timothy, the Apostle Paul's last will and testament. Here he is sharing his final thoughts. So even though he's talked to Timothy many times before, and he sent him other letters as well, yet he writes them one more time just to remind him, Timothy, here's what really matters. And part of what matters is not only that Timothy makes sure that he keeps a grip, a strong grip on the truth about Jesus, but that Timothy's reaching out to help others grasp that truth too. Notice what he says. The Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, he says, you then, my child, Timothy, you're like a son to me. I've known you for a long time and I care about you deeply. And Timothy, I want to encourage you, be strengthened. And this is written in such a way that it means this is something you've got to do every single day. It's not like it's automatic, you know, you receive something from God and then, hey, you got it for the rest of your life and you can just kind of take it for granted. No, every single day you've got to be intentional about turning to the Lord and seeking his help, seeking the strength that only he can supply. And how is that strength received? Be strengthened, Timothy, in the grace that is found in Christ Jesus. Every day as you interact with Jesus, you intentionally enter into this rich fellowship with him. Then the Lord begins to empower and to enable. And so verse 2, Timothy, as you learn how to do this for yourself, now help other people learn how to do it too. So Paul writes, and the, and the things, Timothy, the things that you've heard me, Paul, the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses over the years, all different kinds of occasions, in front of all different kinds of audiences, he heard Paul preach and teach the gospel, he heard him share the good news of Jesus. Well, now, Timothy, you've got to take that same message and entrust it, commit it to faithful people, people reliable, people who are going to take this seriously, people who are going to handle God's word with integrity. And not only that, make sure they are people who are able that means qualified. You've taken the time to train and equip them so now they can pass it along to others well. See, we've got four generations here. Here's Paul taking what he's received from God and now he's passing along to Timothy. And now Timothy's taking what he's received and now he's passing along to the people in the church at Ephesus. That's the church that he's working with here. And not only is he passing this truth along to them, now he's in the process of training and equip them so they can pass it along to others as well. Here's the Apostle Paul looking three generations ahead. He's thinking about people he won't even see and meet. He's reaching way into the future to make sure that others will have an opportunity to hear the truth about Jesus too. Now here's what I notice. The Apostle Paul is not the only one who worked like this. 
You see these kind of examples all over the Bible where people are trying to be careful about how they pass along their faith and they pass along their heritage to the next generation. Think about David, King David, and what he did for his son Solomon. You remember David had this dream. He wanted to build a temple for God. And God said, no, <laughs> you're not the one to do this. And to do this, you, that, that's a project for the next generation. That's something I want your son Solomon to do. So how does David respond? I mean, he just got rejected by God. Man, I had this dream and boom, you just demolished it. Does he sit down and pout? Man, I can't have my way. Does he sit down and quit? Man, I had this wonderful idea and God just took it out of my hands. <laughs> now I got nothing to do. No. The Bible will tell us there in First Chronicles. That even though he's a much older man now, David will spend the remaining days of his life working really hard to gather together all kinds of skilled craftsmen and gather together all kinds of raw materials and gather together all kinds of financial resources so that Solomon will have everything he needs so he can be a success in building a house of worship for the Lord. Listen, our sons and daughters and grandsons and granddaughters, they're never going to be called upon to build a temple for God, but they will be expected to build and develop a life. How are we helping? How are we preparing them to use that life to serve the Lord? What are we going to leave behind that's going to encourage them to want to build a life that is centered around Jesus? Or think about Barnabas and the difference that he made for his young cousin, Mark. You remember the story. When Mark was a young man, he thought he was cut, he, he was cut out to be a missionary. So he signs up to go on this mission trip with Paul and Barnabas, and he's super excited. Man, this is the opportunity of a lifetime. I get to rub shoulders with Paul and Barnabas. Man, this is thrilling. And yet it didn't turn out well. About halfway through the journey, Mark realizes, man, I'm not cut out for this. I don't have what it takes. And so he quits, and he goes back home. Well, the next time around, as Paul and Barnabas getting ready for the second missionary trip, guess who shows up? Mark. Hey, I think I'm ready now. Will you give me a second chance? And Paul's skeptical, so skeptical, he doesn't want to take the risk. He kind of pulls Barnabas aside and says, oh, Barnabas, this kid doesn't have the follow-through. I mean, he's going to end up disappointing us again. I, Barnabas, i got to be honest, I just don't have the energy to invest in this young man anymore. I refuse to work with them. And no doubt, Mark was deeply wounded by, by that refusal. Paul doesn't want to work with me. So Barnabas and Paul, they have this sharp disagreement, and in the end, they end up to agree to disagree. Hey, we're both still going to serve Jesus, but... Paul goes one way with a friend of his by the name of Silas, and Barnabas goes the other way, but he goes with Mark. He continues to work with this young man. Is he still naive? Yeah. Is he still immature? Yeah. Is he still very inexperienced? Yeah. But here's Barnabas, a strong man, bringing this younger man under his wing and just patiently working with him. Because Mark has been wounded by all his failures. I mean, he knows, not just Paul, he's let a lot of people down. But here's Barnabas working with him to help him recuperate and heal, helping this young man to get back in his feet again. And over the years, he just continues to pour into this young kid's heart until one day, years later, here we hear the Apostle Paul, this book, we hear the Apostle Paul bragging about Mark and how effective he is in the ministry. Makes you wonder, would we even have a Gospel of Mark today? If Barnabas had given up on that young man too. See, on and on it goes all the way through the Bible. You see the same pattern, the same model. One person working with another. Slowly, carefully, over a long period of time. They just keep pouring into them. Doing everything they can to set that person up so they can be a success. So they can be effective in serving the Lord too. In other words, what we have here in 2 Timothy chapter 2 is a model anybody can use. Anybody can follow. Now, let me explain why that's important. You remember that morning you were sitting here with the church 
And you heard the preacher say, by the time you've finished watching two of your favorite shows on TV, more than 13,000 boys and girls will have died from hunger. And you remember your reaction instantly. You were just paralyzed with a sense of guilt. And that's awful. That's horrible. I mean, over the past 60 minutes, while I was just sitting there, 13,000 children died. And before another hour passes by, another 13,000 are going to die as well. I mean, you feel like a deer caught in the headlights. That, that news is so big and so overwhelming. What can we possibly do about it? The need is so enormous. How could we possibly make a difference? Or do you remember the night when you were a little kid and you were sitting at the supper table and mom put something on your plate that you didn't like? <sighs> and you remember what she used to say in order to encourage you to finish your supper? Eat your food. Don't you know there are boys and girls all over the world who are starving to death? I don't know how it worked in your home, but in my home, my brother and my two sisters, myself, we'd be sitting there at the table thinking to ourselves, well, mom, if you just give us their address, we'll be more than happy to mail these lima beans. We'll be more than happy to share our liver and onions. And we were being sarcastic. But the point is this, what good does it do to lay a guilt trip on us except make it just sit there and feel bad? I like this better. 2 Timothy 2, a strategy. Here's a strategy that works, that actually makes a difference. And the strategy is this, Start small. Hey, you can't help everybody, but you can help someone. Start small, get that person back in their feet again, and then go deep. Once you get that person back in their feet again, then train and equip them so now they can go out and help others as well. Start small, go deep. Isn't that what we see in the Bible? Acts chapter 3, Peter and John come to the temple to pray, and they meet a lame man at the door. And the Bible tells us they, that is Paul and John, or Peter and John, I'm sorry, Peter and John, they look straight at him, meaning they fix their gaze on him and him alone. Hey, we can't help everybody else in the temple today, but we can help this one. We can't meet all those other needs, but we can pay attention to the need that God's put right here in front of us. Can't help everybody, but I can help someone. Start small. And then go deep, just like the Apostle Paul, working with Timothy for years, years and years over a long period of time, constantly investing in this young man, not only so that Timothy can grow up in the Lord, but so now that Timothy can get in a place where he can help others to grow in the Lord as well. Here's a modern day version of that same story. Start small, go deep. I want you to listen to the testimony of Sean and Christy Lyons. I want you to notice not only how God helped them but how God is using them to help others so that one day they in turn will help others as well. Listen to their story. Hi, my name is Sean. This is my wife, Christy. We've been members of New Hope for roughly 14 years. We've got our older son, James, that's been with us that whole time. He's 23. Middle son is Will. He's 11. And Sam is 9. One thing that impacted me specifically about this church is Christy had a problematic pregnancy with our youngest son Sam and had been sent back to the hospital two or three different times. One time she was sent back to the hospital, had started early labor again, and she was on bed rest in the hospital and our small group shows up and their whole families are in the hospital room. They just get around the bed and roll holding hands, praying. That was just, a, just one of many opportunities, but one that stands out to me of how New Hope has always been family since the day we started coming here. 
the growth specifically in the, in the junior high and the high school youth has been something that stood out to me from a growth standpoint. Being in the leadership with the youth, I see the progression of the youth and where they're going, where they start out, and where they are now. And I just love how New Hope is a church that makes disciples making disciples. And that was so evident, especially in um, the youth that I've seen grow up in this church. Our giving here has, has just always felt natural. You know, we've received so richly, certainly from, from God, and just witnessing the way New Hope pours itself into the community every time there's, there's a need, there's some way that the church fills it. There's just a feeling that you get by participating in a church that's this focused on giving and serving and, and going out and equipping the people and, and serving in every possible way to bring people to Jesus. What excites me the most about REACH and the vision that New Hope has right now is the amount of prayer that's happened to bring us to this point. To be in a position to make disciples and to be the disciples that are helping make the disciples, we've got a responsibility. I would tell anybody that's thinking about giving here that you've got a very unique opportunity to provide a way for people to come to Jesus. I would also encourage others that are wanting to give here that if you give here, you get to be a part of a legacy. Sometimes we don't get to see the fruition that comes from what we give, but that's part of being part of God's master plan. We can't even fathom it, but to even be considered as a part of His plan, I think is truly amazing. And the thing that New Hope is always known for is our family and our relationships and and the way that we've poured into each other, other people deserve that. And as much as I want to keep it to myself and hoard it, other people deserve that same love that we got 14 years ago when we started going here. The people in this area, they need to have that opportunity also. I'm Sean. And I'm Christy. And, and we're, we're gonna, gonna reach. reach. years ago, a doctor went down to the city of New Orleans after Hurricane, Hurricane Katrina, Katrina, sorry, because he wanted to help. And one of the survivors that he met down there of that horrible storm was this young father. And the young father shared this story. He said there was some things going on in the midst of the hurricane and he wasn't able to evacuate when he needed to. So he found himself stuck in the house when the floodwaters came pouring into the neighborhood. And he began to worry how he and his two little kids were going to be able to escape this disaster. The one thing he knew was couldn't stay in the house. So as the, the waters were rising up around the home, he swam out this open window on the second floor with his two little kids clinging to his back. He found a place of refuge there on top of a tall building. In fact, everybody else in the neighborhood was swimming to the same place so they could huddle together there in the roof and wait for somebody to come along and help. And in fact, it wasn't long before everybody in that block all huddled together there on the same roof, and they stayed there for three days until finally some military personnel arrived with some helicopters and rescued them. But here's the interesting thing. After a couple of hours of being together on top of that building, somebody said, hey, if you notice what kind of building we're sitting on, 
we're sitting on top of a church. And then it was a young lady who noticed the steeple and said, I recognize this place. This is the church that my grandfather and grandmother built. Do you think the grandparents ever imagined that one day God would use the work of their hands to save the life of their granddaughter? I'm sure grandpa and grandma, as they were in the process of putting up that building, building that church, the whole time they were praying, God, use this place to save souls. But do you think they ever dreamed that one day God would actually use that building to save an entire neighborhood from a hurricane? Who knows how God may use what you're doing right now, that class you teach, that offering you make, the people you're serving and helping. Who knows how God may use your life right now to impact people for generations to come. See, whether by design or by default, when you leave this world, you will leave something behind. But what? What are you going to leave behind? And will it be something that makes a difference for others? I find it really interesting when you read through the book of Genesis. Again, you see this pattern, this model. For centuries, people like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and others like them, they had this habit that whenever God did something significant in their lives, they would stop, immediately just stop and put everything else on hold so they could gather a bunch of stones and build a monument. And they built that monument so that years down the road, as other people came by this place, they would say, hey, look at that monument and recognize something significant took place here. I was in the midst of a crisis and God delivered me. And so that pile of stones became a memorial for future generations to remind them God was here for me and he rescued me and the God who saved me, he can save you too. Here at New Hope, we want to be very intentional about passing our faith along to others. That's why we've come up with this plan called REACH. And a part of that plan is to try and develop godly leaders for the next generation because we want to be more than just disciples. We want to be disciples who make disciples, who in turn will make other disciples, so that for years and years to come, there will always be a witness for Jesus in this place. The question is this, will you help us? Will you help us build for the future?